0: Welcome to Trauma-Informed Caring, and Essential Conversations podcast, brought to you by the Mid-America Addiction Technology Transfer Center, funded by SAMHSA, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. Although funded by SAMHSA, the content on this podcast does not necessarily reflect the views of SAMHSA. Because we have learned that well-being inspires well-doing, we begin each episode with a brief practice to center ourselves. So I invite you now to turn your attention just to yourself. If you're able to close your eyes and want to do that, you're welcome to do that. And take a couple of deep breaths. Attending to the present moment, just noticing how your body feels. Trying to stay out of judgment about whatever you might be feeling or thinking. And begin to scan through your body, starting with your feet. Feel your feet on the floor. Feel the slight pressure of your shoes or socks or sandals or your feet on the floor. And then scan up through your legs Just noticing if there's anything, any sensations, any tension, or any spots of relaxation. And through your hips, your back and your abdomen, your chest, your shoulders and neck, down your arms, into your hands. and then up through the top of your head. And if you feel the need to release anything as you are doing that scanning, just take a deep breath in. And as you exhale, release any tension that you'd like to get rid of. And then when you're ready, you can open your eyes and release this practice. I'm Andrea Dalton.
1: And I'm Roxanne Pendleton. And this is Trauma-Informed Caring. Today, we are very excited to have you join us. In this current series, we are looking at things in the soil or things in our communities which nurture resilience. It is our hope that by exploring varied perspectives, we're going to gain some knowledge. And we are going to also be inspired to have courage for Practical Transformative Action. We have several guests in this series who are going to share with us from their points of view. And today, I'm so excited that we have our friend, Kim Shaw Ellis. Kim, will you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, what you're up to
2: in the world, and anything else you want us to know? Well, I'm really excited to be in a new chapter in my career, and I'm feeling like I'm making a greater impact on a grander scale which brings me a lot of good feeling because I'm very purpose driven and always have felt to serve my community so to feel like being supported in that and i'm soaring because of that support is brilliant I work for synergy services now I'm doing a lot of cool stuff they literally they literally uh, asked me if i would come work for them and they created a position so that i could and they've just, really made me feel seen and valued and appreciated for what I can bring to the table. And they allow me to just bring my best self. And because I, I do, and I'm supported in that really great things are happening. Really great things. I cannot wait to tell you.
1: We are excited to hear.
2: I think it's been a while (laughs) since we've talked, so I don't think you even know. So I know.
1: I know. So For our listeners, really quickly, what is Synergy Services? What do they do here in uh, in our area?
2: A domestic violence advocacy-based organization. However, there are several different programs that have been developed and are successfully helping various members of the community, even those who aren't uh, suffering from intimate partner violence, but also youth uh, uh, youth in the community who who are homeless, youth who have been just kind of cast aside from the community and have no place to go. Uh, we have a drop-in center. We have uh, several different ways of meeting people where they are and helping provide resources and support and therapy and community and uh, art therapy service and, and helping with life skills and uh, all of that. But also, we have transitional housing. Uh, We have, you know, we can support housing for youth from the age of 13 to 21 and help them succeed in life. And we have Children's Center, who we help small youth. Uh, You know, we help with forensic interviewing, we help with medical, dental, like all kinds of things. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Just a a wonderful organization to work for and with a really great way to make an impact. I've been able to use the experiences that I've had with recognizing where there are kind of gaps in services for the community being retired from law enforcement.
1: Yeah, I was going to say before you go any further tell you mentioned you're retired. Yeah, tell us oh, what okay. you retired from and then that go on with that perspective that gives you then to see gaps. What did you used to do?
2: Yeah, so I was in law enforcement for 33 years and I retired in March of 2021 and one of my areas of expertise or my wheelhouse or whatever you want to say is always been domestic violence. 23 of my 33 years I spent with Kansas City, Missouri Police Department. That's what led me to get to know Synergy and the family there and build relationships and see what an incredible organization it is and to be excited about getting to work with them in the capacity that I was in. And then it was just such a great fit. They asked me to come there when I retired. So I did. And I, I felt honored and privileged to be even asked to work for them. And And I have not had a moment of disappointment or regret or any of those things for choosing to make this be my last professional chapter, if you will. I'm very thankful every day. I've never felt so Seen uh, and appreciated. And that's one of the things I really wanted to focus on talking about with regard to resiliency and how that really impacts a person just being in a community of unconditional positive regard, the difference that that makes in self, and how drastic the difference is in the two lives that I've had, if you will, Mm -hmm. really experiencing uh, the struggle of wanting to make a difference in an arena where you. You don't necessarily feel valued as an individual, not to any fault of anyone, so much as just the machine. uh, Mm -hmm. Working for a machine that's in trauma, that's in crisis mode all the time, it's just not possible to have the capacity and the bandwidth and the, I guess, the ability to water the forest before it burns. There's just not Mm -hmm. enough water. So it really is focused on putting out the fire that's the brightest that's right in front. And because of that, I think a lot of individuals suffer. And it's just how it is, I think. But I've been able to see both and, and live in both. And it, it is a pretty profound difference.
0: That really highlights, I think, what we are looking for in this particular series is just how those ongoing cultural societal and even individual traumatic events like those those do just keep going Um, and yet at the same time we also have these bright spots right Um, and really the transformation that individuals can have from one Mm. place to another I think that there's so much really amazing outgrowth, I suppose, from not just within the one person, but within the community. So I wonder if you could speak to that just a little bit, like what are some of the things that are, cause you mentioned it. So now I want to know <laughs> what are some of those things that have grown out of just that transition for you from one place to the other? And yeah. what, Spectacular things are happening.
2: The thing that strikes me the most about it is the difference that one can make in the community just for being supported in their efforts to want to do that. So, I've always had that desire. I've always had that drive and the passion to impact and serve the community. I really, I've really worn my uniform to serve and protect the community. And so, My drive and my passion has always been on on doing it, on finding things that need to make an impact and then making that impact. And the challenge with working for an organization that is in constant trauma, not just the organization that's being traumatized or in crisis, but also... A group of individuals within that organization who are individually being traumatized because, you know, law enforcement—it's just—it's just, it's just trauma, 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 you know, big events and a series of in, of small events and feeling other, you know, secondhand trauma as well as firsthand trauma, and it's just, you know, it's it's a lot. And then uh, recently, also, you know, feeling the the pain of not being seen as being. A protector and a server, a servant protector, more seen as as a villain or the enemy, um, is very painful. Uh, when you really, literally, would take a bullet for a random stranger, it's it hurts, and it's not personal that way so much. You know, we understand that, but it it's another direction of of trauma. For us, so recognizing that that's continuously and constantly going on, but wanting to make a difference in that arena is really, really hard because, as you know, when someone is in a place of crisis and suffering actively suffering trauma, a person cannot have the capacity or the ability to be able to see others. So on a grander scale, that looks like a bunch of individuals who are trying to survive and feeling like they're not even being seen by their own organization. They're struggling to support themselves. So there's a lot of directional trauma, a lot of directions of pain, a lot of directions Mm -hmm. of fear, a lot of direction. When someone's in a place of feeling fearful, fearful meaning I'm just trying to survive, it's really, really difficult, if not impossible, to have the capacity to see others and meet others where they are, which just creates more trauma Mm -hmm. and more harm. So my point is in that environment, it's very hard to thrive when you're just trying to survive. And so I've always had a five years of my time on the or last four years. uh, I was the essentially created a role of a diversity officer. And also in that was the LGBTQ liaison. So that afforded me the opportunity to get into the community. And my goal was to try to build that bridge, to try to help my brothers and sisters in law enforcement feel valued, feel seen, not feel hated to help thrive and to help do better work for the community, right? And to also help the community not feel fearful to reach to law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Uh, so really my goal was to try to build this connection, this bridge, this relationship and uh, educate and and learn, be invited to the table so that I could hear and, and try to elevate, help elevate those needs and those fears and those concerns and those worries to command staff, to implement policy and procedure you know build and create these things and I worked with HR I worked with media I worked with every single place where that could be beneficial including training at the police academy so I had the opportunity to make the impact but just couldn't be supported in it it wasn't supported so because of that and when I say it wasn't supported the resources weren't provide weren't given to support that mm-hmm. right Uh, not me personally, I mean, the efforts, the role, the watering the forest, so that we could keep some of these big fires from happening. Mm -hmm. Well, the department was spending all their water on the fire, uh, and had to, and had to. So it was a very challenging time, to say the least. Uh, It was very, very difficult individually, uh, because I it really being a liaison, being a mediator, being in between, being listening, uh, trying to build trust with community leaders, community members, uh, and then helping elevate those needs to the department and feeling feeling like I didn't have a safe place to land. Uh, the community had a hard time embracing me because I was law enforcement. Police and the department uh, kind of had a hard time embracing Maybe because I was trying to help elevate needs of the community, members of the department, the police department itself was trying to survive.
1: So thank you for sharing that. It's a very good description of the system that is both in trauma and creating trauma, right? It's bigger than yeah. any one person, it's bigger than any one city. Yeah. It's it's huge. And my yeah. question is, what were some of the if if you're willing to share? What were some of the things in your soil that enabled you to do that kind of work, even as difficult as it was for three decades? Do you have anything that you can share with our listeners that, you know, pro tip? <laughs> or if you don't want to call yourself a pro, yeah. just like a tip, you know, like what? I will
2: say I will say I really believe and I teach this to recruits, too. I really believe that it's extraordinarily imbalances everything I think. Uh, I think it's extraordinarily important to build relationships, personal relationships, outside of the space that you work in. And as an example, you know, I've always been very intentional about building relationships with people who aren't law enforcement. Not because I don't like my brothers and sisters and it's not that. It's just the recognition that the world is very diverse. Mm-hmm. People are very diverse. And if we only focus on those spaces that we're really comfortable in, that look like us, that, that uh, support everything we say and feel and think, mm-hmm. we tend to lose that ability for balance. We tend to lose that ability to, to see that there are other people who are beautiful who do amazing things and don't look anything like us. For me, that's how I think I did. Like I would even take on part-time jobs doing anything but law enforcement. As an example, a couple of years ago, I just, I took on a part-time job waiting tables, being a server at an Italian restaurant. And I didn't need the money. It wasn't, I I mean, I wasn't making any money. In fact, the tips all went, I I would share them with, what it just felt so good to be in a space where people had Hmm. no idea who I was. Yeah. And to be able to have the ability to make a person smile just because I gave them good service where they didn't judge me based on the uniform I wore or how I look or it was all about. And so that would help ground. Me. It's a very easy place to get to if you especially in careers that are uh, can be toxic. Uh, It's very easy to fall into that if you don't intentionally step outside of it. Sometimes you can become part of the toxicity that you that you're trying to get rid of, Mm -hmm. or trying to impact. It's we're 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 all animals. We all need to feel safe uh, first, and so when we're struggling just to survive because we're in constant crisis or in constant trauma, it's very very hard to not be constantly acting out of a place of of a triggered response. So intentionally seeking balance, intentionally seeking relationships that are diverse, that are different, that people who do different careers, who are different. Uh, And that's been very helpful for me because then I can see different perspectives. And and I'm not just talking about politics or all the heavy stuff. I'm just talking about just life, (laughs) just life. You know, people have values in different ways and people bring, everyone brings something beautiful to the table. It's really hard to see those things a lot of times if we don't recognize the value of it. So I think balance has helped me see that value. Uh, it certainly helped me see that there's a lot more out there than all of the negative things that I was facing on a daily basis in my career. So being oh, I to love that-, that.
1: You diluted mm-hmm. the negativity. Like mm-hmm. that's the image I'm getting of there's all this negativity and you're building these relationships outside your workspace. And you've used the word beauty numerous times. You've seen the mm-hmm. beauty in the diversity mm-hmm. and all the goodness happening around you. And you've mm-hmm. been in spaces where you don't have to be the one in charge or the one to fix things or the one who has the power. Like there's this intentional, again, just diluting of the toxicity with adding uh, diversity and different experiences and experiences where you're the opposite of what you were in one role. You're a different role and, and beauty and good goodness. I think that's a... Brilliant practice for resilience. It's
2: really been important to me to keep myself grounded, so that I, I'd never lose the servant mentality. It's always been important to never let the badge guide me, but to always be able to guide the badge, to use the power of the badge for good, if you will, and to act, to help lift others up instead of to to push other people down. Uh, because I I've seen how it. It can affect people. And I, you know, something really hit me. Uh, really, I, I'm thankful to be a retired law enforcement officer. I'm thankful that I spent 33 years doing what I did. And I, I'm thankful to be among the truly honorable and, and hero heroes that I've gotten to see do heroic things on a daily basis that no one will ever know. I I've seen that. And I say, you know, it's interesting that it's so easy to to get into a negative space when you see so much harm that others can do and and you lose sight of the humanness in that. It's easy to do. But I say, you know what, if you would be willing, literally willing to die, to take a bullet for a random stranger, but you feel judgment and hate and negativity toward that very person that you would give your life for those two things don't match and a lot of folks suffer from a lot of self a lot of harmful self-harm behavior uh you know drinking too much uh domestic violence um you know the divorce rate that i mean i've lost too many brothers and sisters to their own hand and i think that it eats us up when we can't sit back and say gosh you know What I'm doing matters because you matter. If I lose sight of seeing how others matter in that, of course it feels awful. Because if I would be willing to die for someone I hate, it just doesn't make sense. The hate doesn't make sense. And I think we can get really wrapped up in it when all we do is stay in that negative, toxic environment. Uh, surrounded by that. So I think it takes intention mm-hmm. to reach outside of that and recognize the value of that balance is a very long answer to saying, I think that is how I have survived and survival is a word I would use mm-hmm. because there have, there have been some really dark moments. Yeah. Uh, it counts. Yeah. And,
1: and I-, I, when you say you matter, what I hear you saying is you like to every single person who is serving every single person who is protecting, every single person who's taking care of another, every single person who's taking care of an animal or the planet or their sick mother or their community as an officer or their community as a domestic violence shelter volunteer. Like Mm -hmm. every one of us matters. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, I just want to invite our listeners to pause for a moment and soak that in. You matter. Yeah. Let's take this pause now to shift then to The joy that was almost like visually flowing out of you when you talk about your new place of service. Like, what are some of the things as you were describing what Synergy offers in my mind? I was thinking, that's an external resource. That's an external resource. Mm -hmm. That's an external resource for our community. That supports resilience. That supports well being. And so, oh, yeah, you are in the soup (laughs) of Mm -hmm. uh, what is good in our community Mm -hmm. to support. Well, being so tell us yeah. anything you'd like about what's happening there.
2: Oh god. Well, I'm super excited because I feel like I've fought for so long to really try to make an impact and not to say that I don't feel like I have to just to say that I feel like I kind of in a way outgrew the limits and the boundaries that I had bestowed upon me by being part of a large agency that's very well, it's a system. Uh, and so when I retired and I started working here, they basically just said, Kim, just, just do what you do and tell us how we can support you. Now, know this it took me a minute to wrap my mind around that right. uh, because I've never experienced that. I don't think it, many of us have. Uh, it might have uh, hard I mean, to
1: trust it for a minute.
2: Yes. I was looking right. for cameras, I was looking, I was waiting for the <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. I've been beating my head against a brick wall. I, wait, are you saying the wall isn't there? Hold on. What's, what's she try? Um, but not only did they, they invite me to, to do that, to be part of the solutions uh, and use my talents and skills and experience to do that and really tap into that, which is an amazing way to feel, but they've put their money where their mouth is, so to speak, with regard to giving me the support, always showing up. And because of that, my God, I mean, hold me back. You can't, you can't hold me back. I'm fricking. So I've been working on um, trying to build a bridge or trying to fill in some gaps and services that I've seen over the years as a police officer. And one of those is a lot of folks who are experiencing intimate partner violence, have pets. There's it 70 or 80% of households have pets. Yeah. And I lost count in my career how many times I saw someone in a very, very dangerous situation. So, you know, I'm I'm scared that your partner is going to kill you. People in your situation have died. I want to get you help. I've got resources to connect you with. Can I, can I help you reach? And they say, you know, I would, I want to, I want to reach. I am fearful. I, I do know things are bad, but if I leave, my partner will harm, torture, kill my pet. Hmm. And hmm. I've said, you know what? I hear you. I I don't blame you. I, And I got nothing for you. And there is no worse answer wow. for me anyway, especially as a police officer to have someone who's reaching, who needs help, who wants help to then to say, I got nothing for you. You're going to have to leave your pet behind if you want to yeah. get help. That speaks to the power of that relationship with the pet for that person's resilience. Oh, like if some... someone
1: would literally choose to stay in a life or death situation and I 100% oh, yeah. believe you, so oh, yeah. that they could stay with this. I mean, to me, that oh, just is yeah. such a huge... Um, clear picture of how much support the individual gets from loving yes. that pet and, mm-hmm. and having that pet love them back. Oh, wow. so
2: people choose homelessness over getting their mental health needs met when the resources are there simply because they can't take their pet with them. Yeah. That emotional support that uh, it, it's, it's, it's profound Yeah, uh, and it's real. So what that sounds like to me is well, instead of making people have to make this decision, why don't we figure out yes. how to meet them where right. they freaking are <laughs> and Exactly. find a way to support the pet? Because here's the thing, less than 5% of domestic violence shelters can house pets.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. Just,
2: it's a people shelter. It's not a pet. And there are a lot of valid real reasons for that. I mean, it, that it is, but it's still the way that it is. So there is a huge co-occurrence of animal cruelty and domestic violence in a home wow. where domestic violence isn't involved. Of course, the co-occurrence is. of animal cruelty is right. profound. Mm. So we have partnered with a new organization and we are piloting a program here and it creating the blueprint and it works. The org the new organization is was created by the two co-founders, uh, Matt Krantz and Andy Bond, who are f- from here, and it's called Bestie BNB. And it's B S T Y B N B. Like if you think of Airbnb, uh-huh, but for pets. Yep. So what happens is Bestie BNB is just a highly secure technology-based platform. And what it does is it pulls in a group of people who want to be caregivers. So let's say you want to be a caregiver and you want to foster, if you will, a pet, basically giving the pet day freaking play for a month while the owner is getting their needs met, getting resources, getting safe. That allows that person to flee that that violent situation, get themselves safe and know that their pet is going to be safe and cared for. So they can now focus on getting their needs met. And and the pet win-win, the pet is safe.
1: Yeah, it's almost impossible to even.
2: It might have been actually,
1: yeah. You that, that horrible thing that was an ongoing, unsolvable thing, you now yeah. have the freedom, support, creativity, yeah. and resources to start making a
2: difference yeah. for them. And not only that, but within a year. Now we've created the blueprint. We've partnered uh, several domestic violence agencies have now in this area partnered with Bestie and then also have extended that out where I've been working with the KC Pet Project and got to train all of their animal services officers. And we've created another element to this. We call it our ICU project, and that's to identify, connect, and unite so animal services officers now, when they handle calls for service that law enforcement would never be on or right. domestic violence agency would never be, these AS animal services officers now have a screen questions that they, when they go into homes, they screen, they ask these three basic questions and if they identify domestic violence in the home uh, and they identify a subject who uh, needs to be connected with resources, now the ASOs can connect them with resources when they would never have been, had access before. So now we've taken another step and uh, all of this now is happening. And we're also expanding it out nationally. I'm working on creating and building a national training program for Mm -hmm. animal services officers to help also incorporate domestic violence training, education, and this ICU program, as well as, Bestie B&B as a resource to help connect. And the other piece of Bestie BNB that's amazing is because it's so highly secure, and they they put so much thought and effort and uh, intention into making it be so safe and secure. The client information is uploaded by the domestic violence administrator and the caregiver network. Uh, the caregivers never know who the client is. The client never knows who the caregiver is.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: They, but they can still come together through this network and text and uh, and see videos and pictures of their pets. So they know that they're fine. And But for safety, security, and confidentiality, neither yeah. actually knows who the other is. But the yeah. caregiver is vetted and their background investigated. And we know who the caregivers mm-hmm. are. But for everyone's safety and, and confidentiality and protection... Those two and that logarithm and that best b platform is what marries the two to, to find the right caregiver for the right mm-hmm. pet.
1: Kim That's amazing. <laughs> who but you or someone like you? Who but you or someone like you could see that hole in the system of care and then come up. Because you're in a situation where you are being seen and you are being supported and you are being encouraged to be creative, come up with this innovative solution with all these little details that you're talking about, like what you just described in terms of privacy, which might not have occurred to someone who didn't have your background in law enforcement, right? Like, I have this sense of everything that has shaped you and pulled you to this day is giving you the wisdom of lived experience to solve these problems that you're solving that no one else has solved. And mm-hmm. I don't know about our listeners, but I, my suspicion is that everyone who just heard about best DB and and ICU, the identify connect and unite program is freaking inspired. Like mm-hmm. that is a powerful example. And just thank you.
2: Thank you for, I appreciate doing all of for that, all you're doing, but know that it's not me. I am just thankful to be part of it. Uh, best DB <laughs> was created by Matt and Andy, and I'm just fortunate enough that I happen to see it. Uh, and I was supported in building a partnership with them
1: Got and,
2: it. and then pushed outward to KAC pet project. And I had established a relationship with them right before I retired as well. So we were, it, the piece in there is just it's collaborative. Helping, yes. It's mm-hmm. the collaboration and building the partnerships and the relationships and seeing the value in what others bring mm-hmm. and what they can bring and allowing them to bring it. Uh, and finding a way to marry those things together to create good for all. And and it has. Uh, and it continues yeah. to. Yeah. So it's working. And I'm excited about it. So, yes, I still feel like being able to make a difference and uh, actually really make an impact. And not just on people now, but the animal part. Uh, you know, and it's a challenge. I mean, we have a lot of challenges. I mean, Transportation you know, funding. I mean, you know, we got to get pets need veterinarian care. I mean, like all the stuff, especially if they were harmed by the abuser before the survivor came into our services. Now we've got a pet that needs veterinary care. So we need support from veterinarians, low cost. You know, we, it, it's a lot, uh, but it matters. People it matter, matters and animals matter. And the animals, the, the ability for a person to be able to say, wow, my pet's going to be okay. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: I can get help. And knowing that their pet is right there uh, and being cared for and loved on and having day play galore, uh, I've got some success stories there. They can relax, get their needs met and really, you know, get healthy into a good space. And then of course they're reunited with the pet and it's not like they're ever taken away from the pet. It's just that. Yeah. Yeah, We can't, we just wow. can't shelter the pets, uh, with the survivor so we can shelter them now with caregivers, but you know, mm-hmm. there's always the challenge of needing, we always need more caregivers. We need, you know, mm-hmm. and it doesn't cost the caregiver anything. They just have to, they just want to have to want to open up their home to, to love on a pet for, you know, whatever, but it's a brilliant idea. I'm just thankful to be part of it and to see the need and uh encourage synergy to be part of of that and to be supported in that and because of that great things happen it's
0: amazing i bet there's a few people googling it right now i hope so <laughs> kim this has all been just so inspiring and um impactful so i want to thank you for being part of this conversation today and sharing what you have uh i just want to ask if there's anything else that has come to mind as we've been talking today that you want to share?
2: Yeah. You know, in thinking about just how to have building resiliency and, and um, you know, survival and, and feeling safe and all the things, you know, one of the things that I've learned the most is that animals, people, we have to feel safe first. We just Mm -hmm. do. We cannot take another step until we feel safe. And that looks a lot in a lot of different things. But one thing that changed my life, and really helped me see the value of that. Uh, some years back, I, I went to a holistic healing approach program that veterans uh, and first responders have here in the metro area. And it's called the Battle Within. Uh, and it taught me one thing because I, I experienced it. I, I learned a lot of things in the classroom setting. Now, that's not what I'm saying. But I experienced this and it changed my life. And that is when you are in a community, a community of unconditional positive regard and judgment has cast away and you can literally be who you are and feel seen by others. That is when healing begins, I believe, and I think community is more powerful in that arena than any one individual could ever be. Not to not to devalue individual uh, support and uh, all of that. Not to devalue that because it's it's critical. But there has there has never been anything. That has impacted me greater in my life, in a world, in in a, in an arena of healing than being in a community of with unconditional positive regard, seeing each other and saying, I see you Mm
1: -hmm.
2: just, I see you. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I see you. I've got you. You matter. It's powerful Mm -hmm. and it's, not hard to do. Mm-mm. It's just not hard and when we can do that, we have an environment of inclusion and sub- unconditional positive regard. When we can when we can create that in our workspace, in our small groups, people need that. We're social beings. We mm-hmm. have to have that. We seek it everywhere we go. People seek, they, they try to find faith, you know, religions that support their, you know, to make that so they can be who they, you know, politics, what everybody seeks a space that they feel safe in and, and seen in and valued in. That's what we all need at our core to feel safe. When we don't, we're defensive and we're fearful and we're feeling like we can't be okay in who we are and we have to be something we're not and all. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> it's yeah. just so simple. It's just so simple to just not hate each other. I think that rolls really
0: well into the first takeaway that we want to leave our listeners with today. Thank you, Kim, for sharing that. It was, that's amazing, but yeah, that it, that it is so powerful and so valuable to be, seen to be reminded, uh, to be told that you matter, to be recognized as someone valuable and within that community to just having that ongoing support and connection and how that really does. I mean, we know it even from neurological research that it, it does calm our limbic system, which then in turn helps our brains be not in our stress response so much because we do feel safe.
1: It's huge. And the second takeaway that, um, we would encourage listeners to remember is this idea of intentionality. We are so busy. So many of us using all of our water to fight the fire, to fight the forest fires in front of us. And we need some of that water, um, to water the forest so it can be healthy and less likely to burn. And so how are we able to be intentional? Specifically, are we building relationships outside of our workspaces? Are we keeping ourselves open to all the diversity there is and the good things that are going on, especially if we're in a workspace that's negative? Do we have spaces and places where we see the beauty in others, the wisdom in others, the creativity in others, the goodness in others? Do we have experiences and spaces where we're not the ones in charge, where we don't have the power or we don't have the sense that we've got to race in and save the day? What what are we doing that's intentional so that we don't add to the toxicity that's impacting us? How can we maintain that servant mentality using our power to uplift others rather than push them down? Um, how can we do that on purpose
2: every day? You get that which you seek.
0: And then our last takeaway, though there are many in this conversation, the last one we're gonna highlight Is around collaboration. So it's going to take more than one of us putting water on those fires in the forest, right? It's going to take a community. It's going to take us recognizing the value in each one of us and then working together, uh, building on the skills that each of us have, the talents that each of us bring, the differences that we have, and honoring that diversity as we collaborate toward making really huge impacts in our communities, in our people, in each other. And so I think that, gosh, that's, that's big. I'm getting kind of chills thinking about that today. So thank you.
1: Yes. And specifically, we want to highlight the programs that Kim mentioned. Check out Bestie b if you're someone who maybe wants to shelter or foster a pet mm. so that you can help someone in a situation like this, get the healing they need. Listeners, we want to thank you for being with us today. We want to remind you that we are the Mid-America Addiction Technology Transfer Center, and you can check out our website for a variety of resources. We have a virtual room of refuge where you can find 24-7 a variety of support for your own well-being and That also includes access to our YouTube channel, which has uh, both brief and a little bit longer resilience practices and guides. You can also subscribe to our newsletter, Conscious Connections. Thank you again for joining us. It is our hope that where you work and where you live, this podcast will offer you practical support for the practice of trauma-informed caring.